Hi, I'm Christine, and welcome to the 5 Foot 5 and Growing Podcast, a podcast where I dig deep, do some difficult self-reflection, try to learn from my past, all the while trying to become the woman I want to be, whoever she is. I haven't figured that out yet, hence the podcast. So please join me on this new journey of discovery and hopefully growth. Figuratively, of course, I'm 5 foot 5 inches tall. That doesn't mean I still can't grow. Welcome back to the newest episode of the 5 Foot 5 and Growing Podcast. This is Christine. How's everybody doing? How are you? How have you been? How you holding up? Well, it's been a long time since my last episode. And there's a reason for that. Um, honestly, I've been afraid to talk. I know that sounds weird from someone who started a podcast that only talks about themselves with themselves about themselves but um this year so far or the last year or so has been tough for most of everybody but um it's been a little different for myself so to kind of catch you guys up i think my last episode was february maybe somewhere in there and um yeah i it's all a blur it's really all a blur but um the beginning of the year i had all these goals and this motivation if you listen to the new year's eve episode uh, i had this plan i was going to work out and do like 100 squats and push-ups every day and drink nothing but water and no wings and uh yeah that that lasted for a couple weeks in January February was a little bit better um not exercise wise but food wise Uh, I guess I'll start off with some good news I'm down 13 pounds so that's good since um February um, I lost that, most of that in February, March, beginning of March. It fluctuates. But, yeah, I was doing pretty good. Um, it may have been some of the medications I've actually been taking consistently. Um, if you're new to the show or if you haven't listened in a while or you don't know the history, uh, I'm diabetic, have high blood pressure, I am technically morbidly obese. Uh, I suffer from depression and a new one, uh, crippling anxiety. Um, But my, I take my blood pressure medication, but I wasn't taking my diabetes medication because metformin is a huge thick pill and... I hated taking it. I hated it with all my passion. And I never took it. I filled it. Filled the prescription. But I rarely took it. And it be, because it's an extended release pill, you're not supposed to cut it in half, which was my original plan when they prescribed in 2019. But they switched. Um, I saw my doctor a few months ago. No, February. 
And I asked her, finally asked if I could switch to something else. So she switched me to um, a much smaller pill that I was just recently informed by my new insurance that they don't cover. So I got to get another prescription. But, um, so I've been taking those and those are supposed to, they technically help you lose weight, but not, that's not their purpose. Like the one, um, it kind of functions as a water pill in a sense. So it makes you go to the bathroom more because it's, it's the sugars that it's taking out of your body gets released in your urine. So it makes you go to the bathroom because you're supposed to drink more water. You see the process. So you, by drinking more water and having to go to the bathroom, that causes weight loss. Same with the blood pressure pill that she put me on. So I think that has something to do with um, some of the weight loss. I've been, um, it's been warming up here in central New York, so my mom and I have done a few walks. And today, Monday, the 29th, um, I'm officially two weeks out from my second Pfizer vaccine dosage. So uh, I decided to go back to the gym. Here in New York, you still have to wear a mask while you work out in a gym, which was difficult, to say the least. But, you know, I felt a little safer going back to the gym now that I'm fully vaccinated. So that's my new thing. So going to the gym to lift weights. Um, I don't want to do cardio at the gym because it just... I don't want to be there longer than I need to be, so... I don't want to sit on a treadmill or a bike for 30 minutes breathing in all that air, even though there's a mask. You know what I'm saying. So I'm making a short, like, five-exercise weightlifting program that I'm making up totally on my own. So tomorrow will be arms and arms, mostly arms, maybe some squats. Anywho, um... So that's what's been going on health-wise, sort of, since the last episode. The reason that I'm recording an episode today is uh, I need to get some stuff off my chest that I haven't really admitted, and um, truth be told, I don't know who I could talk to. I know I have friends, but... When you have been uh, a mess for the better part of your adult life, it's it it feels like a burden to talk to people about the bad things that happens to you, or not necessarily happens to you, but the not so good things that are in your life or or that are your life. Plus, I just, I don't, I know if I start talking about what troubles me, I'm going to cry. And most people can't handle it when I cry, and they don't know what to do, and they just kind of look at me awkwardly. And most people don't treat me like a gentle, delicate flower. 
and that's a problem. But um, here it goes. This is difficult. I'm just going to put that out there. So if you know me and you listen to the show, what I'm about to say is extremely difficult for me to admit out loud and talk through. So so um, if you listen to some of the episodes in the past, I did an episode just before my 41st birthday where I basically just kind of broke down about my work. The actual job itself was cake. I mean, you know, it took thought. It was tedious and it was work, but I could do it fine. However, the people I worked with and for is a different story. I didn't feel I didn't feel listened to. I didn't feel appreciated. Um, I felt gaslit. I felt betrayed, misunderstood. Um, I felt like it was mind games. And all I wanted to do was just put my headphones on and do my work. And then, you know, contribute in meetings and such when necessary. And that's what people, you know, always tell you, you know, go in, just keep your head down, do your work. You'll be fine. But for some strange reason, I believed that. I've believed that for the last few jobs. And it hasn't worked out for me. Because when you're when you're not at your desk or when you branch out from keeping your head down and doing your work and you expose a, a smidgen of your personality, your fun personality, people who don't get access to that personality get mad and they get jealous. And then they start to wonder why doesn't she talk like that to me? And instead of just accepting it or not taking it personally, they create a whole scenario and then your enemy, public enemy number one, because they don't have access to you that you've granted to a select few. I had it with the pandemic. Nobody wants to lose their job on purpose in the middle of a pandemic with record unemployment and so on and so forth. But I couldn't take it anymore. And when they questioned, when they questioned the process that I've done for the better part of two and a half years, almost three, Actually, yeah, almost three full years. When they finally questioned that process, that they, that they never questioned previously and only found minimal errors, that was my last straw. Because the manner in which I was being questioned was disrespectful and hopefully rude. 
And instead of going off and going out of myself and cussing people out, which I don't do, I took all my stuff out of the office that day down to my pen. I left one of my good Sharpie pens at the office and I took everything else with me home that day. And I came home and I cried and I tried to explain some of it to my mom and I told her I was just going to quit. Like I, I didn't want to I honestly wanted to keep this job until I'd paid off all my bills and saved up enough money to get my own place. But this was it. It was killing me. Having your having your personality and having your work undermined for no legitimate reason other than people nitpicking to find an error to deliberately find an error it's soul crushing like I didn't come late I didn't take you know super long like I didn't do anything wrong you know what I mean when the pandemic started last March when things started to get shut down and kids were were starting to be um, virtual school the people in my office were still like eh it's just a flu it's not a big deal and I'm like yo nah I took it seriously from jump when they closed Italy I'll never forget it I came home because I'm going back to it when I'm at work you know I got my phone out but it's only just to sift through songs on my playlist I'm not looking at Facebook or the news or Twitter. So I came home, opened up my iPad, looked at Facebook, and I was like, wait a minute. They shut down Italy? Like they shut down the whole boot? Oh, nah. Mm -mm. Nope. And that was the day I'm like, well, let's go. We're taking this seriously now. Like, how do you shut down a country? But my coworkers didn't take it as serious. And I'll never forget walking into work one morning before I put my headphones in and they were all just chit-chatting like, this is overblown, this is stupid, they're just trying to soak fear and all the cliche kind of Fox Newsy kind of talking points. And this was like March 20th, 15th, somewhere in there. And I was like, nah, nah. And then slowly but surely, the higher ups, you know, the suits for the overall company came down with all these mandates and things to keep people safe and cleaning and so on and so forth. And that made me feel a little bit better. But people's um, attitude towards it was just like, "Ah." and I'm like, dude, okay. And as the pandemic went on, people started getting laid off because. They canceled elective surgeries. You know, hospital beds needed to be opened up. Things were shut down. We had less in or we had less business. So everybody, you know, every Friday, somebody was getting voted off the island like Survivor. And you never knew 
who was going to be next. And every Friday was was anxiety-inducing. And they always did it at like 3 o'clock. I was so freaked out that I was going to get COVID from one of them at work. Because I brought my lunch to work or um, I would just eat in my car and some of my coworkers were still going out to restaurants for lunch or going to the grocery store and doing all this stuff like out in the community. And I'm like, you're, you're going at lunch together sans mask and then you're coming back to work like you don't see how that could just be a little troublesome so long story short my nerves are bad (laughs) so my anxiety levels were already heightened because of COVID and then to tack that onto my issues at the office it just made it made most of 2020 spring summer 2020 rough but by the time I got to August I was fed up I I couldn't take it anymore my blood pressure was sky high I just I it just I couldn't take it anymore that's all I can say because there was nothing I could do there was nothing I would have to change my entire personality the core of who I am to try to fit into something that has deliberately tried to sabotage or nitpick or you know poo poo me for years and it was getting progressively worse so I quit I quit my job the day after she talked to me slick about questioning the process the next day I got into the office early typed up my letter of resignation and put it on her desk promptly at 735 she didn't say a word to me not like are you sure nothing she didn't say a word to me for two whole days not even like an email or I don't recall an email saying Christine put in her notice or anything like that. I think she waited till like the last minute to do that. And that was just another tick off the checklist of like, see, see how they, see how they treat you. It was freeing to be honest, but it was upsetting. It is upsetting. Because I had worked there for four years. And. This is really tough. Because I just. I. So let me backtrack. So I've been unemployed. Today's March. I've been unemployed since August 28th. It's seven months. And because I quit, I, I don't collect unemployment. So i am just been chilling at the crib, living off my savings and such. In the beginning, I was like, I'm going to rest. 
like Labor Day was the following week. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to chill, clean up some stuff. This is my chance to change my life, right? I got time. I I bought myself some time. I'm going to walk with my mom. I'm going to clean up my room and get rid of some stuff. I donated a bunch of stuff, like a giant um, garbage bag full of clothes to the domestic violence shelter for women. So I did that the first couple of days. Um, went through a bunch of papers and threw those out. So this was going to be a new starter. I was just going to give myself some time to just chill. I wasn't going to be overly stressed. My my nervous system wasn't going to be at a, you know, a 20 every day. I was going to be able to be calm and just hang out and sleep in and stay up late and do the things that I didn't allow myself to do because, you know, I had a job. It was cute for the first couple of weeks. And then I just had like this overwhelming dread. Because I was like, I I didn't want to think about work. I didn't want to think about how it ended. I didn't want to think about anything. I didn't apply for any jobs. I didn't I didn't even think about that place. I didn't I try my best to avoid thinking about work. And every time my mom would ask me about looking for a job or something like that, I'm like, oh, nope. <sighs> I have avoided for the most part thinking about work because it, it sends me into such a nervous, anxiety-filled, blood pressure-rising mess. And that's what I mean. That's my fault. I mean, I was unemployed, so it's not like I can go see a therapist. But I should have tried to work through those emotions instead of ignoring them or avoiding them. Because now, seven months later, you know, I've run... I'm running out of money, so I gotta find a job at some point unless they're gonna drop it, you know, $5,000 stimulus. And I've avoided looking for a job because just work, the word work sends a, like, twitch into my spine. Like, I have a friend that's been trying to find another job, and he's talking about sending out resumes and stuff like that, and it literally makes me, like, twitch it 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 tenses me up just a thought about it that's not normal and i i didn't i never wanted to try to explain it to people because it just sounds it's like yeah you don't want to yeah everybody hates a job but you got to work and i i i hate that because it's so dismissive Like, it's so dismissive. Yeah, I know I gotta work at some point, but are you hearing my struggles with the concept? Because my fear, or part of my fears, oh, okay, well, part of my fears is that I'm just gonna walk into another toxic environment. 
and this is going to be a repeat because I think that because almost every medical office I've worked in has been in that toxic environment. Now, self-aware me, pre-unemployment, when like, okay, it's got to be you. Like, there's something you're not doing. And then I was like, nah, like I get, you know, sometimes I shut down when I'm frustrated and I get that and I own that, but I can admit that. But nah, I know it's poopy everywhere I go, but it's not because of me. I know this 2020 has been a poop year for people in healthcare and education and it's been tough and those people deserve presidential medals of freedom for putting themselves in harm's way for COVID in emergency rooms across the country, across the world. I get that. So I'm not knocking the profession. Period. However, medical offices can be one of the most toxic places to work. Because basically it's, it's, a, it's like high school. And I, I try to explain it, but it's it's really like high school, and like the nurses are the cheerleaders slash like mean girls. And no, it's not every nurse. Like I'm not trying to make a blanket statement in general, but I'm just saying, like, it, the mindset of some people really doesn't go past high school. They have families, they have different responsibilities, but some people's interpersonal relationship skills or working skills really just they just they don't get past high school and people don't work well together especially when you're different I don't want to you know dive deep into the racial side of it but that part doesn't help because you don't, if you never work around different types of people, you may not understand, you know, how you're asking something or what you're talking about might be just a little inappropriate, dare I say, a smidge prejudice in some places. But every office I've worked in since 2002, it's been that way. You get one supervisor who is gruff and, you know, is brutally honest, but in a not a good way and doesn't have people skills to truly lead. They just know how to kind of bully people or tell people what to do forcefully you always have the one who takes their jobs too seriously and thinks that they're supervisor junior who wants to tell people what to do even though they don't have the authority you have the the cool fun one who gets along with everybody but doesn't do anything and never gets called out for it because she kisses up too supervisors and such and then there's me 
And I work hard and I do good work. And when I mess up, I own it. And I try not to make it, let it happen again. And I try to come up with processes on my own of how to do the work that's assigned to me. And it never fails. It, it never fails. I think I told the story on here about my one job when I lived in Georgia. Where the supervisor who hired me hired me begrudgingly because of the experience and education that I had on my resume and how quickly I picked up things in the interview shadow process that she thought I was going to come in and try to take her job because I had more experience than she did. She hired me because I was the best person that they interviewed. So her and the other management was like, yeah, her, yes, yes, her. So she begrudgingly hired me. And then she poked and prodded me every chance she got and double-checked my work and couldn't find a flaw. And then threw more work at me. And then when I accomplished it, like she gritted her teeth to be like, good job. And then she would give me BS tasks. And when I finished those, you could see like the green jealousy in her eyes. And then she would like, I won't say makeup, but they, they had this whole, I don't even know how to put it into words. Like, I was up for a review, and she had some stuff on my review, my three-month review. And I was a nervous wreck, because I'm like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to. Like, I'm... But she had it out for me. And I'll never forget, my three-month review was supposed to be the 4th of July week. And my mom had came into town from New York, and I was supposed to take her from Atlanta to Alabama for our family reunion. And I was dreading going to work because it was supposed to be my review day. <sighs> they didn't do it. Some It was some BS reason they pushed it back or something like that. Which sucked because it ruined my whole like week with my mom. But... Um, She had left and was out of the office. Her, remember my, my, there's a supervisor and then there's a supervisor junior. And the supervisor junior at this particular job was her best friend. <laughs> so even if she wasn't there, we couldn't, you know, like, couldn't act up or anything because her best friend was her eyes and ears to go back and tell her whatever, whatever. But she was, neither one of them were there one day, shortly after my 90-day review time period. When I tell you the, the three other ladies in the office that I worked with were like, yo, she can't stand you. And I was like, excuse me? I don't do nothing. She's like, yeah, no. And I told this story previously in the podcast. 
she's like, no, she didn't want to hire you. And she asked us what our opinion was when you shadow. And we were like, yeah, she knows her stuff. She'd be great and she could help out and we can catch up because they were behind with billing and stuff. He's like, yo, she did not want to hire you. And they were the ones who told me all the stuff about her thinking that I was going to take her job and so on and so forth. When I tell you, like, I was just devastated and pissed. And I'm like, what can I do? I'm like, what, what, what can I do? Like, I'm not going to change who I am. She had, she, there's nothing I can do. She's had it out for me literally before day one. So what can I do? I just kept my head down. I kept doing my work. I kept doing things the same way after they told me that stuff. Unfortunately for me, um, my brother died two weeks later. And my whole world was flipped upside down. And nothing was the same. So luckily for them, I guess, I quit. I, I, I was in such a dark place after my brother died. And I'd, I had asked them if I could just have a couple of days. Because I came home for his funeral. There was a delay with his funeral because of autopsy and cause of death and signing the death certificate. And so I was home for like two weeks for his funeral. Which, you know, that's beyond the days that you're supposed to have. But, you know, I'm in New York. It's not like I can just be in Atlanta, you know, lickety split. So they were forgiving in that part, and I respected them for that, and I appreciated them for that. But when I came back to Georgia, I couldn't do it. Like, I just, I couldn't do it. And I would sit at my desk, and I did my work, but I cried my eyes out. And I bawled my eyes out in the bathroom, and I bawled my eyes at my desk. And nobody, you know, quote-unquote, knew. And one day, you know, a day or so after I'd been back, I went to the the big boss, the boss of bosses, and I looked her dead in her eye with tears in my eyes, and I said, can I just get a couple of days? I know you guys have been, you know, you've let this slide, and I've been gone, but I am begging you. I said, this is my, this is my big brother. You know, this wasn't like a, this wasn't like a grandparent who was 95 who died. This is a 42-year-old man with a wife and kids, and he's gone. And that was really hard for me. And I just wanted a couple of days, because as difficult as it was dealing with the funeral and such, when I was home, it hadn't kicked in yet. Like, I knew he was gone, I, you know funeral we did all that stuff but it still it hadn't hit 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 and when I got back to Georgia and I was I felt like I was all alone and I'm at this job where my supervisor doesn't like me for some reason I can't control and you know I only have a small smattering of friends which was like three people if that and I'm like I don't I don't 
was crying myself to sleep every night, and it was horrible. And I just wanted a couple of days to exist in Georgia without work to just get my mind right. And when I asked the big boss, she hit me on some, like, 70s pimp coldness, like, like she did the Birdman hand. It was just so cold. Like, there was no empathy. There was no... And she was just like, you need to decide what you want to do. Like, I need someone to be able to do this job. And if that's not going to be you, then I'm going to have to find someone to do it. So you got to figure out what you want to do. And she said it cold like that. Like, like she was like Detroit pimp. This is like a 60-year-old white lady. And I heard that. And I said, okay, thank you. And I left the office. I worked one more day. And I just felt the energy in the office and the supervisor. She said something slick. And I said, you know what? I can't do this. Like, I can't do this. And I was working late. Because I was making up time for being gone. So I was working late. So I had worked late all that week. Think about that. I am in the worst grief of my life besides my dad dying. And I'm working late, even though I don't even think I should be at work right now because I'm so grief stricken. But I'm working late and you ungrateful bums want to talk to me like that. That's what I was thinking. So I was sitting there with another lady that was working late and she was on the phone with her boyfriend or something because, you know, it's just the two of us in the office. I went to the bathroom, I gave myself a pep talk, I came back to the office, I wrote up a little resignation letter, I got some sticky notes, I wrote some sticky notes to the other ladies in the office and put them on their desk, just thanking them and appreciating them for, you know, training me and being kind and being thoughtful, they got me a card, and I put the letter of resignation on the desk, I didn't get notice, I just quit. Took my stuff, took my little pins and stuff in my desk, left my name tag and stuff, and I just quit, and I walked out the door. Ironically, it was the end of August, 2014. And when I quit my job in 2020, it was the same day. And I, I, could, I could talk for hours about, like, that was one job. The job I got after that one. This dude was okay. He wasn't a bad boss. He started out sketchy. But he warmed up. But he was another one. Like another, And he was an actual doctor. But he was another one that, like poked the bear and like pushed and pushed and deliberately did things to be a dick to get a reaction out of you and I'm like that's that's not necessary dog like like that was his way of testing people and the supervisor um that had it out for me in Georgia she did she's she had said like my third day third official day and she was just like are you easily breakable and I said it. Everybody 
everybody breaks. She's like, yeah, but are you easily breakable? And I was like, but every everybody break. Why why would you deliberately break someone? Like why why would that be be necessary? And she was like, but I'm just I'm just asking. And I was like, that should have been the red flag on day three, but I needed a job. And the the doctor boss guy, he did the same thing. Like he tested people, but he would you know deliberately put the cheese on the mousetrap, and then would get mad and disappointed in you when you went for the trap. And it wasn't until I think my 90 days with him and he was just like, you know, you do good work. I was thank you? Why do you sound surprised? And he was like, well, you know, I can see you working here and doing some things and moving up. You know, you had the right mindset and you didn't do X, Y, and Z when I did X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, you did that on purpose? And he's like, yeah, that's how I weed out, whatever, whatever. And I was like, was that necessary? And something, cream rises to the top, something like that. But that's what I'm trying to explain. Like, environment, like, it's not necessary. You're putting people through hell, or maybe not hell, purgatory. You're putting people in situations to deliberately trip them up to some type of Job-like test. And I think that's crazy. Either do that in an interview process or, you know, don't do it once you get it. Like, there's other ways of trying to prove loyalty or trying to gauge someone's interest or work ethic. It doesn't have to be some type of survivor-like test. I'm not even going to get into my other job, but the most recent one, it messed me up. It really did a number on me, and I don't even want to, I haven't even gotten to the thick of just pouring my heart out about it. But I'm scared. I'm scared to do, to go back into that field. And this is the thing about having a job and being in a certain profession. It's very difficult to switch professions unless you're going to be an entrepreneur. Or you're going to go back to school. Because your resume kind of dictates the jobs that you can get. So if I apply for some low-level whatever job they're probably not going to hire me because they see my resume and my experience and my education levels. They know they're not going to want to hire me because I'm going to expect a certain price point for payment for my pay scale, right? I can't get the super high up jobs because, you know, I don't have multiple degrees and so on and so forth. So you're stuck in like this lane And this was never supposed to be the job. This was never supposed to be my life. But it is. And then you you stack these experiences on each other. And now you're down a path. And, you know, some people are like, well, go back to school, become a certified coder, and then you can do whatever, whatever. I'm like, I don't, but I don't want to do this. Can I do this? Yes. 
do I want to do this? No, because look at the environments that you work in. I don't, that doesn't feed my soul. I don't have some calling to be in the medical field. I got a job at 21 years old, 22, 22. Because my friends at the movie theater, they had a part-time gig working at a medical office in the medical records department. And my one friend got the other friend, and they got me in. And it paid more than the movie theater, and it was part-time. So I work at the medical office in the records department, and I work at the theater at nights and weekends. It was perfect. And then I went from medical records to front desk reception, and then tacked on from there. And then I ended, ended up in billing because they laid off a bunch of people. But they didn't think to, you know, have them catch up on billing before they laid off the billing office. Duh. So I somehow got mixed into the billing department because they were like, can you, do you think you could do this and do overtime and catch us up? And I said, sure. Can I listen to my music and play my headphones? They said, sure. I said, bet. And I spent, I don't know, an extra three hours every day or so for a few weeks trying to catch up the billing department on billing. So I was doing park billing and reception work and then that morphed into something else and then that morphed into something else and the next thing you know I was medical billing was my was my job title. And it's like this wasn't the plan. And then, you know, you do it for a while and you go, well, I know how to do this. I could be supervisor, but uh, do I want to be a supervisor? Are they going to let me be a supervisor? And I tried that. I tried to be a supervisor. And they poo-pooed it. I don't even want to do medical billing now. But like I said, your resume dictates your work. And I know there, I, like I said, I can give you guys a bunch of examples. Will this next place be the same as the other places? Or identical? Probably not. Not identical. But they're going to have some of the same attributes. I know they are. And that's what puts a, my stomach into knots. So I don't want this to sound cocky, but so I've avoided applying for jobs. Like I know it takes time to find a job, but I know in my heart of hearts with my experience and then living in Syracuse, New York, next to a university with like four hospitals and a two mile square radius, there's going to be positions open, right? So... Um, Friday, Friday the 25th, 6th, whatever day that was, I just sat down and looked at Indeed, and I saw a couple of things, and I'm like, well, I gotta update my resume, and I don't want to do that, just the thought of it. When I tell you, like, it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but when I tell you I broke out into, like, a sweat, 
my face was hot, my, my ears were ringing, like, it's a sharp headache pain, like, I'm not exaggerating, the sheer thought of working on my resume and doing the resume and applying to jobs sent me into a full, like, physical moment on Friday, I'm surprised I didn't break out in hives, but I applied to, like, four jobs, I updated my resume on Indeed, by today's Monday Sunday I had a email set up a phone interview for Tuesday which you know most people are like yay good job yeah oh yeah that's great but now I'm thrust into thinking about all the stuff that I've avoided for months and you know it's a phone interview first, and then I guess you, if you pass that, you go through the next stage and you have a face-to-face interview, I guess. So we'll see how that goes. It's tomorrow, Tuesday, the 30th, um, at 1230. So we'll see how that goes. But just the thought of it, just, ugh. And then I'm looking at the, the company, and I'm looking at the stuff online, and I'm like, okay. And it's talking about, oh, you can work remotely. And I'm like, oh, thank God, please let that be true. Please let me just do a couple weeks of training and then I could work remotely and then maybe I can work through my anxiety and my issues at home and so on and so forth. And then it was like, um, you have the option of working nine hour work days and have every other Friday off. And I was like, oh, that's a bonus too, because you know, things opening up again, I can see my friends and, you know, go on little weekend vacations or trips, I guess. So it's okay. I was trying to talk myself into it. But that was a month. Like, that was enough. I was freaking out over a phone interview. And then I go to the gym today because I felt so overwhelmed with dread. I go to the gym to get some endorphins pumping. I leave the gym. I'm driving phone rings in the car is another another one that I applied to on Friday calling and set up a face-to-face interview I got a face-to-face interview on Wednesday these are good things I know it doesn't sound like I'm excited about it but they are freaking me out oh another fun thing so since I've been unemployed since the end of August I haven't worn anything besides basketball shorts and sweatpants in seven months, and I'm not exaggerating. Nary a pant with a button. I have worn sweatpants and basketball shorts since August 28th. I don't need sweatshirts, hoodies, t shirts, basketball shorts, sneakers, slides. That has been my uniform all winter, all fall, all spring. I mean, I mean, I I've lost weight since I've been unemployed, unemployed, which is a good thing. But so that's another level of things. I'm like, am I gonna fit my clothes? Do I need to go buy new clothes for this face-to-face interview? Oh my God, what am I gonna wear? I haven't had to interview for a job in four years. I don't really have interview clothes because. Once I got the last job I had, I was just going to keep that mug until I had saved up enough money to do whatever, whatever. So I wasn't planning on leaving anytime soon. 
So all this stuff is rattling through my head, and I'm just like, oh, dear God. And I still, even though I've been talking for 50 minutes, I still haven't really dug into the issues at my last job. I haven't really talked to anybody since I've left. The not maybe the first week or two, I got a couple of text messages, and I haven't heard from anybody since. And I begrudgingly, or not begrudgingly, but regretfully, the one lady was nice enough to call or text, call one of the two texts. I can't remember, and I didn't text her back right away. Because I was in my own little funky world. Haven't talked to her since. And I really regret that. She was really nice. She was really sweet. And I think I sent her a text in December. Just like, hey, hope you're having a nice holiday. Sorry. You know, I haven't talked to you in a while. I've just been in a funk. And I got no response. But I don't deserve one, right? But no one else from the office I've worked with, no one's called me, and I haven't called them. And when I was updating my resume, trying to, the new computer programs that we use, I can't remember. I logged into this computer program every day for three years. I cannot remember the name of it. I'm on Google, Googling medical program or medical software programs trying to figure out if I could just see the name of the program and it pop it. I don't remember. I don't remember phone numbers to the office. I, I don't remember. And now I gotta now I gotta go in and try to explain my knowledge of things to get another job. It's a mess. I don't know what to do. And I need a job. And I need I need a good enough paying job. I can't just take a ten dollar an hour job. That's not gonna pay. You know, I'm forty one years old, I have bills to pay. So I need a job that's you know, comparable to what I was making before or more. So I can save and pay off my Jeep and save money to move out and so I can't, I can't take a $10 an hour job. I can't take a $12 an hour job. That's chump change. So I at least got to have a job that pays enough. In all honesty, I need a job that's going to pay enough to make up for the mental anguish that I'm going to put myself through. I just, I don't know what to do. And I don't know how to fix my anxiety. I'm, like I said earlier in the episode, I have to contact my doctor about switching my diabetic medication because my insurance doesn't cover it. I don't know if she'll want to see me again, but I'm going to have to talk to her about taking something for anxiety on a daily basis or Xanax or something. something. Because I, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. I really don't. And then the sleep. Oh, I didn't even get into the sleep. Dude, I don't sleep. It's almost one o'clock in the morning. 
I'll fall asleep for a couple hours. My cat's going to wake me up in the middle of the night for me to feed him. And then I'm going to fall back asleep and he's going to wake me up in a couple hours after that for me to feed him. And I'm going to fall back asleep again. And then the next thing you know, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. And that doesn't sound like a bad thing, but when you can't do that when you have a job. So I've been up every night till midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. And now I'm going to have to start work at like 8 o'clock in the morning and be up at 6.30. And work all day with no naps. Making lunches again. Eating, you know, breakfast like a normal person at the crack of dawn and then taking, you know what I mean? Like, I just, oh, God, I wish, I don't think people, like, I'm. if you could see my hands, my hands are so entangled together because I'm trying to, like, oh, these seem like really first world problems and they may seem minuscule to most and get over it shake it off you're an adult you don't understand the physical toll that some of these these things that seem normal have on me my face is burning up right now i have goosebumps it's not even cold in here this is it's a lot man Independently wealthy would be nice right about how a winning lottery ticket. I don't even need like millions. I'll take a couple hundred thousand. I could I'd live for months off of a few thousand. I, just let me get a scratch off for like another like a smooth hundred K would be cool. I could pay off my Jeep, move into a place, buy some furniture, throw my mom some cash, throw my nephew some cash, and still be good for a little bit before I had to like really work go to a therapist I tried to there was a I think it's called better help like an online therapy kind of like talk space if you've heard of that I looked at talk space I couldn't afford that I thought better help might be a little cheaper I go through the whole questionnaire before they you know show you pricing bruh I'm like who can afford well I guess people could even if I had a job I couldn't afford better help for the prices they quoted me. I'm like, I couldn't spend that much for just therapy. So I don't I don't know what I'm gonna do. I just let's let me just let me take a break and recalibrate and we'll talk about this more. Okay, so, where do we leave off? Dazed and confused, right? Uh, this next segment is going to be joined by my sometimes co-host, Bear, the cat. So if you hear him meowing and or shuffling in the background or breathing, that's what you hear. Because... I somehow woke him up, and he wants me to not be at my desk right now, talking. Um, I really need to figure out what I'm going to do 
going forward. I probably will never tell him this, but I texted one of my friends to tell him that I have two interviews, the phone interview and the face-to-face interview, and I, you know, casually drop the anxiety piece, you know, not in detail, because it's text messages. And he was like, oh, you can face your fears and, you know, hope for the best. And I was like, well, damn it. Something about, see, bear. Something about face your fears really just struck a nerve. Because I'm, you know, I won't ever get over it, so to speak. But just him texting that back, saying, um, face your fear or find something else to apply for, something you can work from home in. And it's just a real simple piece of advice. But honestly, it helped. It helped calm me down for a second. So I can face my fears and try to... Bear. I can face my fears and hope for the best and try to... You know, if I get the job... The one that I have the phone interview tomorrow, if I get that one the one that has the flexibility maybe you know the worst of it will just be the beginning just you know orientation and training and such and maybe I can work from home which is going to be another can of worms because if I can't record a podcast without cat interference I'm not sure how I'm going to work from home but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it like One of the things that's always bugged me internally is when you're someone of my physical stature, most people don't assume that you're a sensitive, gentle person, but I am. And I wasn't always... But the older I get, the more emotional I get, the more sensitive I get. Like, I had a full-on breakdown watching White House Down the other day. I've never even seen that movie in its entirety. But I caught, like, the second half, and I was bawling. I don't know why. I have no idea. But when, you know, most people see, oh, you're so strong, or you're a strong black woman, and yeah, you can put your mind to anything, and you can get through it. At what cost? You know, at what at what cost? Can I lift things? Am I strong physically? Yeah. That doesn't mean I want to lift it by myself all the time, like... You know what I mean? Sometimes you want help. Sometimes you want someone to ask you if you need help. 
or just volunteer to help. You know what I mean? I don't want to be strong. I don't want to have to grip my teeth and bear it and figure it out. Am I going to have to? Yeah, probably. But I don't want to. Like, that's part of the struggle, too, is you can't. You're not allowed to be the other part. You're not allowed to be. I'm, I'm, I, I. I am not allowed to be that. And even my own mom. When I was trying to explain it to her yesterday, just a, a small smidget of why I don't, why I have anxiety about going back to work and such. And as soon as I start to talk and then she makes some random comparison to her work life that doesn't make any sense, nor does it correlate. And then somehow it makes it all about her. And then it's never helpful, nor does she listen properly. So me sharing is pointless. But even in that part, it's just like, there's no like, it's going to be okay, and I understand, or there's not even a sensitivity or a empathetic ear there. It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're smart. and You you do well. There's none of that. It's just like you got to find a job. You need to work. Unless someone's going to pay for stuff for you, but it's not going to be me. So, me and your father, we just had to work. And I'm like, okay, but at what cost? Things are different now, and I understand that, and you know, the world's different, but I don't like it. And I saw, like, unrelated or uh, differently, side note, I guess I should say. So, when I said to her, like, at what cost, and I kind of like gloss over to her in their head, but I'm like, you know, when I was a kid. My pops worked at Chrysler. My mom was a bus driver. The little school bus, the little kids. Um, They had to be at work before I had to go to school. So by the time I got to like fourth grade, third, fourth grade? No, fourth grade. I was home by myself. My brother went to school before I had to go to school. So it was just me. And nine years old in the crib. I was making breakfast for this, and I'm not talking about like a bowl of cereal. I'm like, I was making uh, pancakes. I had a griddle and a stove on. I'm making French toast at 10. And my friends would be like, You smell like syrup and bacon. What'd your mom make for breakfast? Like, mom, mom doesn't make me breakfast. I make me breakfast. It's a gift and a curse, but. Like, that's what I was talking about. Like, at what cost? Like, you weren't home. And when I got home from school, they still weren't home from work. So I spent an hour or two by myself after school, doing my homework, watching TV. I wasn't allowed to play until they came home. So I had to do my schoolwork and stuff. 
So, and then I saw, I thought about that earlier, and I saw a video, a YouTube video, this kid, who was like eight, has chores, he has to like, empty the dishwasher, and something else, and people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you make an eight-year-old do that, and I was like, what? I was doing that at eight. I mean, we didn't have a dishwasher. I was doing dishes, but so is this too much for a kid? And I'm like, wait, where? Okay, it's just odd, but to bring it back, that self reliance as a kid just you know formed who I am as an adult. So I'm okay working by myself. I'm okay doing things. I'm okay if you give me a task. I can do it unsupervised because I've been unsupervised. I'll never forget it. So my grandmother died. Um, My pop's mom. And I wanted to go to the funeral. And my brother was like, nah. And I'm like, what do you mean, nah? He goes, nah, nah, nah. So you're going to miss a week of school. And I was in high school at this point. Um, he was like, just stay at the house and I'll be here. And, you know, you don't have to miss school and stuff like that. And I'm like, but yeah, but I want to go. Like, I I want to go. I always wanted to go on family trips. I mean, it wasn't like I was excited to go to a funeral. But, you know what I mean? Like, I wanted to go on a trip. I never liked being left behind. So my brother was like, no, I'll stay with her. You know, make sure she gets to school on time and yada, yada, yada. When I tell you how pissed I was, that, yeah, I got left behind. But then dude was like, okay, so I got to go to work and you make sure you do your homework and do this and this and this. I was like, dude, I'm home by myself anyway. Now, if I was an irresponsible teenager, I could have had parties. No one would have been wiser. But whatevs. So I've built, I've been taught to be self-reliant. I can depend on myself to get through things, to do things. At some point, you just want to be taken care of. You know, can I take care of myself? Yeah, to a point. I'm not sure I've done the best job of it if you've been listening to the show, but like I'm at a point where I'm tired of it because I don't think I've been doing a good enough job. Like I want to tag out. And constantly trying to show up for myself and plow through and ignoring feelings and avoiding situations or tough emotions. It's led me to this point. And now I got to do it again. If I get one of these jobs that I applied for. Side note. One of the jobs I applied for. The, the pay was like $7 more than I was making at my last job. Now that's the job I want to call. It's working for the county though. So that's a little. But. That $7 raise would be super duper nice. Um, 
I still would have the anxiety that I have, but still, if I had to pick one of the jobs I applied for to call, come through and call me, that would be the one. I know I need therapy. I know I need to speak to someone. I'm not sure how I'm going to get therapy. Between, you know, finding someone that takes my insurance and the cost. uh, I don't know. And I know I need to see someone ASAP in order for me to be able to process my emotions to, to do, you know, to go back to work. One of the other things that's been bothering me this whole time, I have no idea what I want to do. I have no idea what I want to do. I was really content with just sitting there doing my work, listening to my podcast and or music and just more plowing through working hours a day. I was okay with that. As long as they just paid me a little bit more, I'd have been fine. Maybe not forever, but for a while. And they screwed that up. And now I don't want to, I don't want a job where I have a traditional job where you work in the office and I got to answer the phone and I got to talk to people all the time and I don't want that I don't want that life I don't want that life anymore I have seen the other side of a, a, a very casual environment where I could wear you know a polo and a you know a cardigan or something and pair of khaki pants and some comfortable shoes and keep it pushing like I I don't have a closet full of dressy clothes I don't want to have to work in an office I think God bless the place if they let us wear scrubs but that's another thing I'm thinking about but I don't I have no clue I don't know what my purpose is when I was 11, I wanted to open my own restaurant. Until I got to high school and the Upward bro- upward Bound program, shout out to Lemoyne College, they had me, they were going to place me with an internship program because I had restaurant ownership was my goal. They were going to place me working $10 an hour in 1997, <clears throat> six, six, seven, um, working at McDonald's or working at Red Lobster for their management trainee program. And I had to drive me and my mom drove all the way out to Elmira and I sat there and interviewed and they talked to me about the whole process. And, you know, the fast-paced environment in the back of the house, and the front of the house. And I heard all of that, and I was like, ooh, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> That's not how I envisioned my restaurant ownership. And it was like, it's fast-paced, and there's, you know, there's yelling and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, ooh, that's not really my strong suit. And I had to go back to tell the lady at Upper Bound, like, yeah, no, nah, I don't think that's, um, I'm not sure that's me. And I was terrified. Now, could I have done it? Probably. But I didn't allow myself to do that because I was, that, was uh, that scared me. I don't want someone yelling at me all day. And, you know, this is 
1996, 97. This is before cooking shows were on TV and see the Gordon Ramsay's of the world yelling at people. I couldn't handle that. Like, I just wanted, like, a little mom-and-pop restaurant. I didn't want some, you know, busy chain, you know, conglomerate. And they had it all mapped out. And it's like, oh, you work here and Red Lobster. And then we have these other restaurants. And, you know, I'm like, oof, it terrified me. And even when I went away to college, I was still a hospitality management major the first year. And I'm like, well, maybe, you know, maybe once I learned the ins and outs, you know, maybe it was just a bit much at 17 with that internship idea. Maybe that was just a bit much. So, you know, we'll study and maybe we'll work our way into it. And then when I transferred schools, man, I was going to be a business major because they didn't have hospitality management major at UB, University at Buffalo. So I was like, I'll just be a business major. Until they made me take statistics. I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> this is not my skill set, Playboy. I can't I can't do it. Macroeconomic or microeconomics kicked in my butt. I was like, I can't do this statistics. So I said, ooh, I guess we're not gonna be a business major because uh, that's numbers. You gotta count and Math isn't my strong suit, so I guess we're going to have to, uh, I've always liked history, and part of me always kind of liked the thought of being a teacher. Maybe I'll be a teacher. That didn't work out either. My dad died, so that, that kind of put the poo-poo on that, but I don't, I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue what I want to do. I thought this podcast could be it. And maybe it still could be. I don't know. I I invested um, some money into a better microphone that I'm not currently using because I was too lazy to plug it all in. Uh, I thought you know I could get enough listenership and maybe I could turn in, this into something more. And maybe I could. You know, if I had some guests and branched out, but that's not gonna that's not gonna pay any bills right now. And I, you know, I thought I was gonna do merch and sell T-shirts for the show, and and like I said, I still could. But I, you know, it's some of these thoughts have been paralyzing. Oh, who can I find to do a graphic design for the shirts? And oh, wait, you gotta pay them for it. And if I pay them for the design, do I have to give them a cut of the things? And who can I trust to do the design? And how do I want it designed? And do I want to trust them to do the design? Or is there something you have in mind? I just it's too many questions, man. And then I start to the anxiety starts to kick up. I started to freak out, and then I go, oh, too much, this is too much, this is too much. Abort, abort, abort. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life.
and I take a small bit of solace in, you know, you've seen the memes, like, Vera Wang didn't design her first dress until she was 40, and Toni Morrison didn't write her first novel until she was 41, and, um, you know, Michael Jordan got cut from his basketball team, and, you know what I mean, like, you see those things where people who've become great became great, they didn't become great in their 20s, they became greater later, with the exception of Jordan. So, like, I take a little solace in that. I'm thinking, okay, maybe I don't have it figured out yet. All my friends seem to have their careers, and I don't. But that that doesn't mean my story ends here. Maybe, just maybe, you know, I something happens, and at 44, I finally have the food truck of my dreams, and you know what I mean? Like, I, I that that thought keeps me from ending it all to be honest with you because <laughs> I don't I don't know what I want to do There's, before my brother died um, he actually was the chef that I wanted to be I was like yo we get a food truck and this is when food trucks are just you know they were a niche they weren't everywhere yet and I said, like, yo, we can do this nice little chicken wing, like, burger food truck, yo. We do, like, curly fries and french fries, and we serve Kool-Aid. And, like, I had this whole menu planned out, and I'm like, we do the wings, and I make, like, the sweet sauce, and then you do the hot sauce. I'm like, come on, man, we could do this together, bruh. He was kind of with me, but, you know, wife and kids. <laughs> pesky little wife and kids was holding us back um and part of me is i want to do that but like i said the steps man the steps get to me you know i used to look at used school buses and i'm like i could turn that into a food truck but how would I do that? How would I get financing for that? My credit's not good enough to get a bank loan for a business. Do I have to write a business plan? How do you write a business plan? Am I doing this all by myself? Am I going to get help? Who am I going to get to help me? And I freak out. Oh, my wings would be dope. My wings are good. And my sweet sauce is ooh, it's tasty. I don't know what I want to do. My friends are bankers, managers, teachers, lawyers. Like they got professors, coaches. They got careers. They went to school. They got this degree. They got this degree. Degree. They got this certification. And they're 10, 20 years into the game. You know, getting tenure and moving up management and district managers and you know, two houses and a couple of kids and a couple of cars, and I'm like, you know, stay with my mom. And yeah, I know, comparison is the thief of joy. But it's hard not to compare. When you're 41, in my case, it's hard not to compare your life to your friends. Like, that's the whole... Our capitalist society wouldn't operate if people didn't constantly compare themselves to their friends. 
the suburbs wouldn't be the suburbs if it wasn't for people constantly going, oh, what did Sheila and Bob do? Oh, Sheila and Bob put in that fence? Oh, okay. Well, we need to, I mean, look at the commercials, the commercials, the home improvement commercials. You know, you go to someone else's house and you see, oh my God, I like their floors. We need to get floors like this. Or who did your driveway? Oh, that's nice. Well, babe, we need to do... It's all comparison and keeping up with the Joneses. The only difference is, one, our country thrives off it. Two, most people don't see it as a flaw because they can actually keep up. And three, I forgot what number three was. It's tough. And I don't know if I mentioned it before, but the movie Bridesmaids, hilarious. Bridesmaids was like like a sad documentary. Like, it's funny in parts, don't get me wrong. The poop scene and the wedding dress shop, I get it, I laughed. There's hilarious parts in that movie. But when you're the, when you're actually Christian, Kirsten, Kristen Wiig's character in real life, that movie has a whole different connotation to it. When you are the broke friend, and your friend's getting married and having this lavish life, and they've, they haven't outgrown you personality-wise, but they've outgrown you in their taste and the things that they do. Man. And yeah, you know, she took some turns and, you know, veered off path, but I I went to go see that movie. It was me and three of my friends. My three friends, they all work for banks. They're all bankers. Varying, varying degrees of bankers. One's in mortgage, one's in compliance, the other one's district manager of something ridiculously large. Senior vice president? She might be senior vice president at this point. Anywho, that was, what, 2011? So 10 years. Wow, it's been 10 years. I was the broke friend then. I mean, I at least had my own apartment. I had a car. I had a cat. But, you know, they had houses. They both had their own house. The couple, they were married a couple years in. You know, and I'm sitting there watching the movie, laughing and with like a pit in my stomach, like, "Oh, I've been there, girl. I know how you feel." Because <laughs> the couple that I went with, they got married and they had a destination wedding, and I'm sitting there like, "Okay, I don't get paid until Thursday, so." Alright, if we leave on this day, the wedding's on the 6th, so I get paid that same day, so I can pay for my hotel room with that pay. Like, and everybody else was like, oh, I just put on my credit card. And I'm like, okay, alright. So it's going to be like four gas tanks to drive down to the Outer Banks. I have enough money for gas. I can just pack some sandwiches so I don't have to stop for food. And by the time I get there... Yeah, and then I, my, my money will be deposited. All right, cool. I don't, that was my life. Kristen Wiig was my character, her character was my life. 
it's hard not to compare yourself to your friends, especially when your friends are like way up the mountaintop and you're still at the bottom struggling. And you don't have a clue how you're going to get to the top. Like, that's the kicker. You both start out at the bottom and then you guys work your way up. And then at some point, they pass you and they keep going. And you're like cheering them on and you're like, yeah, go! You got this! You got it! Go for it! And then you're taking baby steps and they're taking like sprints up the hill, up the mountaintop. And after a while, you know, they're still going up. And you've fallen a few times, scraped your knee a few times, you got knocked over, you got lost, you took a wrong turn in Albuquerque. And then you, you know, they radio out to you like, hey, we're, you know, we're up at uh, mile marker 40. Where are you? And I'm like, um, seven? I'm at mile seven? And they're like, oh, okay. Well, you know, we're here. You know, we'll keep checking on you. You got this. I'm still at mile seven. I've gotten turned around and I've gotten lost. I don't have a clue how I'm going to make it up that mountain without help. I don't have a clue. And you know that that meme or that you know quote is like, no one's coming to save you. You got to save yourself. That's not motivation. Like, that's a threat, dog, I guess. I I need someone to save me. That's the only way I can get out of this. That's the only way I see out of this. Unless I, you know, get some therapy and one of these jobs pays well enough and it, you know, the light bulb finally clicks. But as of right now, I don't know how this is going to work, player. Like, I wish I... You know, people laugh, but uh, some Instagram model, super smoking hot, scantily clad, usually light-skinned ladies who make a, a gang of money off of posting pics on Instagram, and then somebody, some rapper or somebody scoops them up and treats them to some lavish life. I'm like, man, if I had that body, I'd do it too. I don't want to work. Like, huh. I need to find like somebody that's in the big girls so I could just start posing big girl lingerie. Get chose. Like I don't I don't wanna work. I don't wanna set feminism back forty years, but I'm tired. I don't I don't wanna have to figure out bills anymore. Rob Peter to pay Paul. If some lovely gentleman wants to be like, honey, I'll take care of it. We're good. And here, I put you on my credit card and you're on your bank account. And here's the PIN code to the ATM. Here's my social. So we can put, you know, whatever, whatever in both of our names. And you don't have to work. You just take care of the house. Sign me up, dog. 
I mean, not to just anybody. I'm not going to just date anybody. I'm not going to just marry anybody. But you see my point. You see my vision. You see where I'm going with this. Like, I would love to be somebody's housewife. Like I've watched enough 50s sitcoms. I think I got it down to a science. Most people, you guys probably think I'm joking. I'm dead ass serious. Not to just anybody. I'm not going to just marry anybody. I like to joke. I'm like, I'm waiting for some of my friends to get divorced so I can just slide in and be the second wife. You know what I'm saying? The one that they want companionship and take trips with because they couldn't do that with the first wife. The kids are a little bit older. That's where I want to swoop in. He doesn't have custody. The wife has like full custody. He only gets every other weekend. Like I'm, I'm, I'm tired. It, this has been a lot. Like, we like to do the trauma porn. A perfect example. If you follow the NCAA, Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, is that a kid, uh, James Preston, Tyson Preston, something Preston, John Preston, maybe. That might have been Mr. Biggs, named from Sex and the City. Anywho, this lovely kid, was he kind of like this, Steph Curry scrawny build. His mom died at like 15 of cancer. He had no scholarship offers. He sent his tape to like all these schools and he only got one school interest in scholarship. He got no playing time his freshman year. And then he finally worked up to be one of the best players on the team by his like sophomore year or something like that. And they kept repeating this story. And I you know, I know why they did it. You know, it it, it feeds into the drama of the, the tournament where, you know, Cinderella's and you can overcome obstacles and beat the blue bloods and so on and so forth. But I got tired of hearing it. Like, okay, I get it. This kid overcame a lot. But does do you guys need to remind him that his mom died when he was like he's only twenty years old. This wasn't a long time ago. Like, I don't think he wants to be reminded or talking about that every chance to, you know. He was like, oh, you know, I know your mom's proud of you right now. And he's just like, yeah. Yeah, you know, it was a good team win. And well, I think about her often. I'm just glad we got the win and we can keep going and, you know, follow my dreams. Yay. Like, I think we thrive off of that. Started from the bottom, now we're here trauma porn where oh you know he was born to a a teenage mom she dropped out of school to raise him and then when he was in the fourth grade she finally went back to school to get her GED and by the time he was in high school you know his father finally came out of prison and his mom went to college and night school his best friend was killed in a gang shooting, so he transferred schools. And now he's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. Like, 
It sounds nice, and I will cry listening to that story because they do overcome a lot. But it, we put so much emphasis on overcoming those things, and like that's your story, and we never talk about, hey, you have been through a lot. Are you okay? <laughs> like that's never the question. It's like you, you ran a four two forty. You caught fifty passes in college. You're one of the best wide receivers, and then they go through this whole backstory, and they never say, "Hey, man, are you okay?" It's just like, well, he put all of his energy into his sport, and he played three sports to keep him out of trouble and keep him off the streets, to keep him away from the gangs in his city, and you know. Now he can be the number one pick and he said he's going to buy his grandmother who's been raising him since he was, you know, 10, a house. And and they never say, hey man, are you okay? Are you alright? Have you seen any, you know, has, has your football coach gotten you a counselor to deal with all the loss and the things that you've had to overcome? They never ask that. They never talk about that. And then the kid's in league for five years and getting into trouble and finally he admits that he has severe depression and now all of a sudden it's, you know, we really need to talk about mental health because it's such a problem in the United States. Well, you guys never asked him. You just thought his physical prowess on the field would net him millions and it did, but you never asked him how he is. How he's dealt with all of this. He poured all of his energy into becoming a pro football player to get out of his circumstances monetarily. But y'all never asked who the person, how that person got through all of that. Is he okay? Are you going to be able to handle everything that's about to come your way because you've worked your butt off? You're going to be rewarded with a gang of cash that you've never seen before. And then they talk about them like they're idiots or stupid when they screw up. Like, dude, what do you expect? You don't think this kid's been tired? You don't think this kid's been numbing his pain with weed and alcohol for years? In football? You don't think it's taken a toll on them? Mix that with youthful energy and immaturity. That's a lethal combination. They don't think of stuff like that. They don't think, maybe this kid's just tired. Maybe we need to give this kid a break. Maybe this kid needs some, some counseling. Like, I'm tired, dog. I've been through a lot. Losing my pops. Losing my brother. All this BS with these jobs, man. I haven't even gotten into the thick of it, but it's been a lot. Being overweight, not finding anybody to love me romantically, having issues with my mom because I'm not her favorite kid. Her favorite kid died. I'm the disappointing daughter, the smart one, but I'm chubby and I don't have any interest from any guys. She can't even brag to anyone about me besides the fact that I'm smart enough to figure out paperwork for her to help take care of stuff with the house and her insurances and stuff. 
But I'm not, I'm, I'm her baby because I'm the youngest, but I'm not her baby. Her baby died. Her favorite kid died. And she's left with me. And no, she'll never say it like that. In those words. But she doesn't have to. Because she does it in other ways. And I gotta deal with that. And she don't even know that she does it. And she went from calling my nephew, her grandson, son. And was like, well, he kind of took my son's place. So not only am I not the favorite child, the favorite child died, and then the favorite child's kid took his place. So I'm still the lowest on the totem pole. All my friends are successful, married, with kids. Except for two. I'm chubby living in my childhood bedroom with a cat and my mom. Man, I gotta figure out what I want to do with my life. But I don't have a clue what that is, nor the money to invest to figure out what I want to do, or to do something different. And because of the shitty work experiences I have I don't really want to work anymore because people are mean and I don't, I can't take it anymore and fortunately for me, I've worked through my suicidal thoughts that I had after my brother died, so I'm not suicidal anymore but I'm a ball of nervous anxiety and I hate it so I ignore it so I ignore my feelings a point and I sit on my phone and I scroll through Twitter and I scroll through Instagram and I scroll through Facebook or I'm looking at random stuff that I can't afford to buy or I watch cooking shows or home improvement shows for houses and kitchens that I'll never be able to afford but I keep dreaming that I will and I avoid my true feelings Because I'm a sad, lonely, depressed, anxious person. Who's funny and smart and kind and thoughtful. Who doesn't have the money that she wants to do the fun things that she would like to do. So it feels like life is passing me by. And I'll be 42 in four and a half months. I don't have a clue how I'm supposed to turn this around. And seven months ago, I had an idea that I was going to quit my job and work out and lose weight. And come winter, you know, I'd be much thinner and back to work and so on and so forth. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. So now coming up trying to find a new job I've just wasted seven months which will literally be a podcast for another day. Because when you're at work all you want is time. You want time, a home, where you could do the things you want to do, do the hobbies you want to do, do the crafts and stuff that you want to do. 
unfortunately for me, I picked seven months in the middle of a pandemic where everything's closed. And I was literally deathly terrified of getting COVID because my fat ass would have died. I have, I'm diabetic, I have a high blood pressure, I have asthma, I'm overweight, and I'm black. And I'm female. I don't think the surgeons or the doctors at the hospital would have fought to save me. And I've been terrified of that since COVID came on the scene. So thank God I'm vaccinated. And I wept. My first vaccination appointment was February 22nd. And I was nervous. And I got in the car and it was pouring rain, sleet, slushy mess. And I got in the car to drive to the fairgrounds to get my shot. I wept. I wept uncontrollably. Because it had been a year almost. A year of you know, living in fear. Hoping, praying every time I went to the grocery store. Is this the day I'm gonna get COVID? I'm, I'm, we had a scare. Uh, early February, late late January, early February, I had a scare. I felt like death. I was fatigued. Had a sore throat. I had this killer headache. I thought, this is it. This is the beginning of COVID. This is it. Watch, I get COVID. You know, coming up on a year, and I'll get knocked out at the end. When the vaccines are rolled out. That was my thought. And after three days of feeling like crap, I finally found a place where I could get an appointment to get tested. Me and my mom got tested and test came back negative. Thank God. But I thought that was it. I thought this was going to be it. I wasn't even going to make it to Valentine's Day. My mom would have to bury her second kid. So I've been home for seven months. Not being as productive as I could have been or should have been. I wanted to be. Because I was ignoring my feelings. And then it's winter. So you don't want to go outside anyway. If you don't have to. Couple that with a pandemic and things are closed and so on and so forth. Can't see my friends and hug and hang out and play. So now, just like the rest of my adult life, I feel like it's been a waste. I've watched a lot of a lot of Guy Fieri and gross guys grocery games. I ain't even caught up on all the shows. That's the sad part too. I'm behind on so many TV shows and movies that have come out and I'm not even doing home quarantine good. I know I'm not supposed to admit it, but I want someone to save me. Like, I want someone to swoop in. save me from me 
Cause I don't, I don't. Do you know? This might not be the best analogy to end with, but it feels like in Castaway. When he he makes that raft, and he's just floating, like he's so dehydrated, even though he's in the water, but like he's so just sunburnt and just dehydrated, malnutritioned, just eating fruits and whatever you could find on that little island, and he's just laying there in the sun on that makeshift. A bamboo log raft. That's what I feel like. And I'm just hoping that some big ship is going to come by and see me and scoop me up. Because I don't, I don't, I don't have it in me anymore to keep fighting. You know, you get bursts of energy. I went to the gym today. That's a positive, right? I gotta do it again. (laughs) I I gotta keep doing it. And I'm just like, ugh. Like, I want some help. I'm tired. I've been at war with myself for years. This is a civil war. And the only way I'm going to find any freedom I don't honestly I don't know. I don't know. I keep hoping one day I'm going to wake up and it's all going to come to me in a dream and a light bulb will click on and you know I'll be fixed in a sense. And I want to work out every day and I want to eat right every day. And I won't be so sad. And I won't have these horrible thoughts. And I'll be good and everything will be sunshine and roses. But every time I think think like that I started thinking about Martin Luther King's last speech his last public appearance in Memphis now I've been to the mountaintop every time I see the end of that speech listen to and see I weep
when he says, mine eyes have seen the glory, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, you know, the crowd erupts and he sits, he, you know, he backs away from the podium and it seems like he was about to collapse. I weep because one, it's a powerful speech, but two, we all know what happens the next day. And one of my sneaking fears is how the light bulb will come on, the light bulb that I've been waiting to come on, the spark that's supposed to be the spark, the, the catalyst to project me up the mountain at a faster rate than I've been. And I know my purpose and I know what I want to do and I got motivation and inspiration and willpower and I'm going to do it. Yeah. And just as I'm climbing that mountain, somebody's going to take me out. That's my fear. That I'm going to finally get on the right path and it'll be too late. Like, just like these seven months that I have wasted this time and then boom. Or these past 10 years, five years, four years, that the light bulb's going to go off, things are going to go my way, and boom, car accident. It's dark, I know, but that's, that's my brain. Like I said, it's it's a war with myself. Where you're optimistic on one side and on the other side you're dark. I'm not even gonna say heaven and hell. But it's just one side is you know, positive and the other side is just like, whew. That's not gonna work for you. And I don't want it to be that way. I would like to be the positive person. I'm a lot of fun. I'm goofy. I'm funny. I tell good jokes. I get dry humor. I get gross humor. It's not my favorite, but I get it. Like, I'm I'm there. I like to travel. I like to do stuff. But some of it's debilitating. The, the, the dark side of me is debilitating. It holds the rest of me back. And it's hard to... I think I said this analogy before. If you ever watch Looney Tunes, um, there is one where Daffy and Bugs Bunny or like zipping along and they find this um or no 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 this is a different one this is Daffy Duck it's the one with the genie and the genie grants him a wish and it's like wealth and then Daffy gets it into his head that the genie's gonna do something and wanna take his money or take all the gold and stuff that they that the wish is granted him 
So he's like, the genie comes out of the little bottle, and then Daffy gets this weird idea that the genie's going to take it away from him, so he starts stomping him back into the bottle. He's mine, mine, it's all mine, mine, get out, mine, mine, mine. I have to do that with the negative thoughts. But I do it all the time, all day, every day. Those negative thoughts are going to overcome me like they used to do back when I was ready to end it all a few years ago. And it's like fighting off those those dark thoughts because I want to live. I want to do stuff. I want to see the bright side of life. I've spent so much of my life being sad and lonely. I would really like to see the fun, happy parts where that's like 90% of my life instead of 10. Where I'm not living vicariously through other people. Where I can have my own experiences. I want to do that. But most of the time the dark side wins. And the dark side is winning. When it comes to this work and anxiety stuff, it's winning. And I'm talking like Tom Brady, Super Bowl winning. But at some point, you know, Tom Brady doesn't win all the time. And that's what keeps me going. I just gotta be my NFC East self and deny him a win like the Giants and the Eagles. But I'll get there eventually. One step at a time.